Let me echo the words of our brother Terry earlier this morning as he spoke about sharing Saturday, yesterday. For guests that may not know what this is or newcomers to the congregation, sharing Saturday is when people in the congregation bring gently used clothing, household items, furniture that they no longer use. Sometimes they bought something, tried it on, didn't fit, and it still has the price tag on it. People brought bags and bags and bags of clothing and donated them. As always, the congregation responded marvelously. And from 8 to 1, I am only estimating, and I wasn't in the area all of the time, but I suspect about 75 people in the community came by. And absolutely free, we were able to share with them and they could see kindness and Jesus, we hope and pray, in what we were doing. A couple of words of special thanks. Our shepherds, Terry and Lynn, worked about as hard as anybody. And we ought to let them know we appreciate them. They not only try to lead, they get busy. I think Lynn may have made himself sick. He works so hard, as a matter of fact. And you've got to appreciate a brother that will work hard enough that he actually gets sick. Their wives also were very helpful. Sharon McKay did incredible work on Friday, helping get things ready for others to come and do their part. Thank you, Miss Sharon. I need to mention Stephanie Scott because Stephanie, she's shaking her head no. Well, I'm going to say yes. Uh, you talk about a secretary that goes the second mile. Uh, she really did well in helping make this a success. Thank you, Stephanie. Our deacons work. And I thank God for each and every one of them. Thank you for being uh, the men of God that you are, and thank you for your families. We had children here from about age two to about 80 and none of your business, all working. And that was a great thing to see. And really, I need to thank Cherie, because this was an idea that she had to help the name of the church in our neighborhood and community. And most of us are so blessed by God, we can look in our closet or look around the house and see things we don't use, and we can share that. Uh, I appreciate Cherie having that idea. And I'm happy to be a gopher in such a great ministry, just to tell you the truth. Uh, a couple of stories. In considering this, there was a lady there, young lady, with twins, age four, who ended up talking with Karen, speaking Spanish, our daughter. Karen found out that she'd only been here in Texas for a week or so. And she left Mexico because she had received a message that her husband had been abducted. She has not heard anything from her husband 
since she got that message. Those little boys do not know how their dad is or if daddy is still alive. And making a move here to Texas so quickly out of fear for the life of your family, they needed things. And a number of those things were provided by you. I thank God for that. I really do. Another lady who was a grandmother was present buying, not buying anything. She's looking around and she couldn't believe that what was there was free. And she was talking about how I had prayed to God that I would be able to help my daughter and my grandchildren get things that they need. And this is an answer to my prayer. You may not realize it, but you were an answer to someone's prayer yesterday. So I'm grateful for all of the work that went into this. And may God be praised and souls be made to honor and love the Lord. Continuing this morning's lesson with but a brief review. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, and Nehemiah 8 is one of the great chapters in all of the Old Testament. And it is about revival. It is about the revival of a relationship with God that had been missing in action for a long, long time. When you look at Nehemiah, it is a book about construction, rebuilding. Nehemiah is a man who wears many hats. He wears them well. But one of the things he does is as a leader of the people of God, he gets things done. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, in 52 short days, something incredible happens. The walls are built around the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Judea. It's amazing. The temple has been rebuilt. The city has been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. But the greatest task is yet to come. The rebuilding of a relationship with God. It's great to have security of walls, a place to worship. But the emphasis in Nehemiah is not just on the walls and on where people meet. The emphasis is on the people restoring a relationship with God. And this we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. We began looking at Nehemiah 8 because it deals with six steps to true revival. Six steps to true revival. Look at Nehemiah 8, 1. True revival begins with a hunger for the Word of God. The people, as one, ask for the Word of God to be brought out and read. What a moment in history. 
Let's think about our relationship with God. The only way we've been able to get these things accomplished with the temple and the city and the walls around the city, God must have been with us and blessed us. Let's hear what God has to say. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. Give us a second truth regarding revival. In revival, there must be genuine hearing of the Word of God. There's not going to be personal revival, individual revival. There's not going to be congregational revival today. There will not be revivals in our cities and our nation unless there is a revival for hungering after the Word of God and also a revival for sincerely and attentively listening, hearing the Word of God. I believe very strongly that more people know the Hogwarts characters, Lord of the Rings, other characters from various movies better than they know the characters and storyline of Scripture. Wouldn't you agree? And that is a reflection on our times. How we need to give attention. And I mentioned from these verses when this was occurring. It was occurring on the first day of the seventh month, which was a really big holiday season for the Jewish people. The Feast of Trumpets on this particular day. The middle of the month would be the Day of Atonement, the holiest day within Judaism. And then finally, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. For five to six hours, the Word of God is read and the people stand the whole time. They are riveted by what they are hearing. It has their attention. And if you were Ezra, and Ezra is mentioned for the first time in Nehemiah, in this section, Nehemiah 8, the Word of God says, Ezra set his heart to seek the will of God and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. This must have been a moment he had been waiting for for years. The people want him to read the Word of God to them. Third, look at Nehemiah 8, verses 5 and 6. We read all of these passages from Nehemiah 8 this morning. For a revival to truly take place, the Word of God must be honored. It must be honored. It must carry great weight and value in the hearts and minds of people. When you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, you will see from the earlier section that 
Ezra has been placed in a pulpit, I would say, that there's 13 men uh, uh, with him. 13 more men will be mentioned in uh, verse 7. 26 men plus Ezra. Teaching. People are standing. And as they hear the word of God read, they say, Amen, Amen. They say that we need to raise our hands in gratitude and humility to a God who blesses so abundantly. It says they fall down and worship. The text says their face is on the ground. You think about profound humility. And when we think about the Word of God, the Word of God will cause people to want to honor the God who gave it when it's properly taught and proclaimed. My friend, please, please do not forget your responsibility to hear and to honor God's Word. Again, this is number four and breaks new ground. Look at Nehemiah 8, verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah 8, verses 7 and 8. In revival, true revival, there must be number four. A thoughtful, proper handling of God's Word. There must be a thoughtful, proper handling of God's Word. Verse 7, I've already mentioned, mentions 13 more names. Verse 3, did this initially. Verse 7, here again, 13 men. I would look at these 26 individuals as Bible teachers. They are helping Ezra in the presentation of God's message. And they are around him to encourage and to let everyone know that they are 100% behind what is being said by Ezra. Verse 8. They read from the book... They helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law clearly and they gave the sense so the people understood. There is a repeated emphasis in Nehemiah 8 on the law. I mentioned that it's found nine times. The term is Torah. There is repeated emphasis on understanding what God says and means. This involves even young people. I believe that from an early point, we can train patiently so young people to listen when God talks. 
It takes a while. But patient parents, God-loving parents, can help their children to listen and to learn to listen. When you look at verse 8, it's been interpreted by uh, Bible commentators in a number of ways. Some have alleged that the Christians, rather, excuse me, the people here in Nehemiah 8, they didn't know Hebrew anymore. And so they had to hear in Aramaic the Scriptures. That may be true, I don't know. Sometimes we have to think about translating truth in a way that people can get it and make sure that we are not detracting from the message of God. But to be able to understand the message, surely we all can see the importance of that today. Here's another one. Another possibility about Nehemiah 8, 8, giving the sense and helping people to understand. They taught with clarity. You know, sometimes people will say, man, that's got to be a really good teacher. He really knows his stuff because I don't understand the word, a word that he's saying. That preacher must really know his stuff. He's got all kinds of degrees after his name. You know what? Just because water is muddy doesn't mean it's deep. Think about that one for a minute. There's a lot of people that got the ability to muddy the water, but that doesn't mean that they're deep. Amen, amen. What the men around Ezra and Ezra are doing is they are presenting the Word of God. When the Word of God is taught today in a Bible class or in a sermon, the Word of God ought to be presented. This is what it says. Secondly, the Word of God must be explained. Here's what it says... Here is what it means. And you show this based upon thoughtful, careful handling of God's Word. The Word of God needs to be illustrated. Turn my ears into eyes so I can see what is being said. Good illustrations help our ears become eyes. The way to a man's heart is not through his stomach. It's through his ears. But sometimes we've got to turn those ears into eyes because they have to see how good it looks to take it in. Now, teaching and preaching should involve illustration. But teaching and preaching the Word of God should involve application. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. 
James 1, 22. He that hears these sayings of mine and does them, he that hears these sayings of mine and does them not. Matthew 7, 23 to the end of the chapter. The wise and foolish builders. So in looking at Nehemiah 8, for revival to take place, there must be a thoughtful, proper, and accurate handling of Scripture. They were likely doing it paragraph by paragraph. They would present it and read it. They would explain it and illustrate it and apply it and go on. And this went on for five or six hours. 2 Timothy 2.15, give diligence to present yourself approved to God as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, accurately dividing the word of truth. Look, if you will, at a fifth step to revival. This will come from verses 9 through 12. Let me read the passage. Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, uh, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who is nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. For revival to take place, number five, there must be great heeding given to the word of God. We must heed, great heed must be given to the word of God. A desire to do, to obey what God says. Now when you look at Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 9 through 12, three concepts really come out here. Concept number one is mourning crying, weeping. And what happens is this. Upon hearing the word of God, there is a profound sense of brokenness. There's remorse. We haven't heard this. We didn't know this. And there needs to be a change in our life because our lives have not been right with God. That's what Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12, are illustrating, first of all, this concept of crying and mourning. Think of Matthew 5, 3, and 4, the beginning of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Think about what Paul penned in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow works or leads to repentance. 
when the word of God is proclaimed, it touches hearts and minds. And sometimes the initial response will be that of tears. We didn't know. We didn't understand. We couldn't, we, we never knew this. But it was not to remain that way. Because when you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, the second concept that comes out that you cannot overlook. Some people are good at driving folks to tears with their preaching and teaching, but the second part they need work on. Joy. Jesus came that we might have full joy. John 15, 11, 1 John 1, 4. That we might have joy unspeakable. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And when you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, the second concept about heeding God's word, you need to feel something, and sometimes what you need to feel is remorse and repentance and tears. But there also should be joy. And the emphasis in the passage is the message of God in the Old Testament is good news. And if the message of God in the Old Testament is good news for humanity, how much more is the gospel of Jesus and the New Testament good news? Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly, John 10 and verse 10. I'll tell you what. This morning I talked about how we, we must, as the people of God, better balance what the Bible says about reverence and respect on the one hand with joy and celebration on the other. When a person is a guest in our assemblies, they should know that we love God here at Westside. And that it is a joy to be with our brothers and sisters in the presence of God. Do those people really love God there? Or are they kind of lackadaisical? Where's the enthusiasm? Where's the energy? I'll tell you what. I'd rather try to encourage the sick to be healed than to raise the dead. And some Christians and some congregations seem to pride themselves on being dead. Worship involves participation. Getting into the Word requires participation. Revival necessitates participation. Third concept, service. Service. You can see that in Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12. Here's where it is. They're rejoicing, they're celebrating, and they are making sure that others can be involved in this too. And if they need the fat to enjoy a meal, 
If they need things to drink, service. Encouraging others in Israel to rejoice in the Lord. And think about that. There in verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We can't cry for long because there's too much to rejoice in because of Christ. And we serve. We serve. The story's told about a little girl, her brother who was slightly older than, uh, slightly younger than she I think she was about 10, and her little brother may have been about 6. They were with her dad off of the coast of New Jersey, and they were swimming, swimming in the ocean. And the undertow took them out pretty far. And here is a father with like a 6-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl, and he's thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And finally, because the little girl was a good swimmer, he looked at her and said, Honey, I'm going to try to get your little brother back to the shore. But I can't get both of you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to float. And I promise you that I am going to find people and we're going to come back and get you. And so here is a little girl, 10 years of age, floating. And her father is distraught, but he thinks I've got to get her little brother back because he's not as good a swimmer as we are. He gets the little boy back and he starts talking to people. And four hours later they found her floating on her back in the ocean. And they asked her, how, 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 did, you, how did you make it? And that ten-year-old little girl said, my dad told me, my father told me that I could do this. And he told me that he would be back as soon as he could to get me safe and sound. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. As that little girl waited for her father, you and I wait for, for the Lord to come and receive us and take us to heaven with him. We can stay afloat because he has made us right in the sight of God. 
Oh, what a Savior. Finally, look at verses 13 through 18. For revival to occur, this sixth step must be appreciated. There must be hope given from the Word of God. There must be hope given from the Word of God. He is the Lord, the great God, Nehemiah 8 and verse 6. That's what Ezra proclaimed. We need to focus on a great and awesome God more. I am shocked and frankly a little upset and then some at the lack of God in our preaching and teaching and the lack of God's Word. When we become more God-centered, we'll be becoming more biblical. And when we truly are more biblical, we will become more God-centered. Next, when you look at verses 13 through 18, this hope comes by being willing to properly respond. You know what happens they found out that they had not been observing a holiday that was given by God himself and that they hadn't been doing it since the time of Joshua. Tabernacles or booths, two different ways of speaking of the same holiday. In this holiday, they were to remember that they had been delivered by God and that he had provided all their needs in the wilderness. Think about that, Waylon, as you're thinking about what y'all been studying in Numbers and Deuteronomy, man. And now here they were, a people who had a homeland in ruins, and now the city is rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, the walls around the city are rebuilt, and now they're working to rebuild the relationship with God because they're listening to Him. They want this. They're hungry for it. Don't you know the enemies of God's people must have laughed and scoffed? You ever thought about something like that? In the book of Nehemiah, enemies include Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, others that would say, you know, a fox could knock down that wall. And at every turn, there they are with their uh, smart aleck comments and trying to undermine the work of God. And they see a bunch of Jews building little huts. And they say, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And they're doing it to remember that they had been delivered and that God had provided. And they're doing it as an expression of thanking God for giving them a harvest. Look at verse 15, and I love this verse. The idea is this. Hope should be proclaimed everywhere. Look at verse 15. 
that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle and palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Everybody needs to know and understand so we can all comply. We all have the opportunity to comply. And then lastly, in considering this, verses 13 through 18 link the past and the present with the future and with eternity. Those Jewish people in the book of Nehemiah here in doing something that had not been regularly done since the time of Joshua, they're connecting with Moses and Joshua and the deliverance and the provision of God in times past. And they are saying, we believe that God will deliver and provide for us in the present, in the future. And you know, as Christians, think about what God has delivered us from out of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear Son. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Deliverance. And provision. Think Romans 8, 32. He that did not spare his own Son Will he not also in him freely give us all things? If he's given us the greatest, will he not also give us the little things too? Provision. All the way to glory. Hear me, Scott? And so when we think of getting into the Word and how the Word can revive us, we connect with the past. Our present gets a whole lot better. There's a lot more confidence for the future. And eternity is looking glorious and bright. Let us pray. May the words that have been spoken from this book and from this chapter Bless lives in view of eternity. But not just eternally, but in the present. And whatever may occur in the future. We praise you and we honor your majestic name. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you need to come to Jesus, you have to respond to the Word. And here's what the Word says. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Unless you believe that Jesus is He, you shall perish. Repent or perish, so says the Word of God. Luke 13, 3 through 5. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And now why do you delay... Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord.
Acts 22.16. Let's be people of the word. Always of the word. Let us stand and sing.